welcome to Brews with Andrews, the Lancelot Andrews podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening as we discuss one of his works as well as what he has to say with the challenges facing our churches today in this world that seems to get darker and darker and more and more insane by the minute. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's dive in. I'm Father Michael. So I'm Father Alan. And this is Brews with Andrews. Live from St. Michael, the Archangel Anglican Church in Matthews, North Carolina. I'm <laughs> Father Michael. I'm Father Alan. Well, what did you got? Today I'm drinking Vanilla Coffee Blonde by Carabas Brewing Company. Doesn't sound very Anglican, man. Give me the Guinness. Cheers. Uh, cheers. So anyway, uh, we were talking about Lancelot today. I think it'd probably be the right thing to do. Since we're having brews in his honor, we ought to at least let the guy I have mentioned here. <laughs> well, we are diving into one of his sermons to get started, which is his sermons on the sending of the Holy Ghost, preached upon Whit Sunday. As of June 3rd, that was 151,206 days ago. I love it. He wrote it down. <laughs> We're talking about it. it's been a few days. So it's like, like good beverages, it's fermented for a while. That's right, but it's, it's gotten better and better. One of, the, one of the things I love about this sermon is something that is unheard of today in contemporary Christianity, and that it is the corporate reception of the Holy Spirit. Rampant individualism that we've been suffering through at least since the 30s. Um, the church has been bogged down in... Well, again, rampant individualism that has... Me and my God. Me, my God, my Holy Ghost. Yeah, me and my Holy Ghost. As, as my herb shop lady would say, you know, do you need some holy water? No, nah, me and the Holy Ghost make it in the back room. <laughs> but this is this has deprived all of us from having a truly meaningful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me just, uh, I'm going to start this off uh, since it's on uh, Whitson Day, Pentecost Day. And... Uh, it's written of him that this is the sending of the Holy Spirit, is the sealing of everything God had previously given and done. It is the fulfillment of the gospel from his incarnation to the very last of his ascension. Though all things of them be great and worthy, all honor in themselves, yet to us they are as nothing, any of them or all of them without this day. So this is tying together for the Trinity, and I mean, this is... Yeah, it is the climax of the church calendar for us. It's something unheard of, as since the 50s, 1945 to the 50s, the church has made the gospel all about Christ's death on the cross so that we can be forgiven, and it stops there. Somehow we don't we barely make it to the resurrection, um, but then we don't even get to Pentecost. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you get down to Whit Sunday or Pentecost, and people look at you like, "We go, y'all dance with snakes." Yeah, what are you doing over there? Pentecost. And so, yeah, that is the the highlight. So, to follow up with this 
quote that's supposed to bait your interest. And Andrews, I will summarize what this sermon is going to do. He is tackling the account of the giving of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2, 1 through 4. And with this sermon, Bishop Andrews examines the sending of the Holy Ghost as accounted by St. Luke, looking first at the time and manner of the Holy Spirit's coming upon the apostles, and then concluding with the three things that are necessary for believers today in order to share in the blessing of the Spirit's outpouring. That is what we will look at as we move through. If you download this sermon, we'll have links to it on the official podcast. You'll see it is long-winded. But it's something that Andrews does really well is puts Pentecost within the story of the Bible before he gets to the disciples and the Holy Spirit. Um, When the Holy Spirit is given at the New Testament Pentecost, the first thing Andrews does is saying, this is not the first Pentecost in the history of God's people. In fact, it's been a huge celebration through countless generations. And so he puts that into context. Then the manner of the Spirit's coming, both on the disciples or the apostles who receive him, um, and then on the Holy Spirit, and then his concluding points. And that's the flow. And so he will uh, build his case from the scripture, uh, but I'm just sitting here looking right here. Uh, we're going to have uh, Tertullian, we're going to have Cyprian, we're going to have Chrysostom, St. Augustine, Cyril. So he doesn't, once again, he doesn't come up with anything that's new, no really original thoughts but he's going to come up with what the scripture tells us and what the early church told us uh, to have some impact uh, greater upon us than we normally hear from regular sermons. Well, to be fair, um, in regular sermons, people can't handle us quoting too much. I mean, mean, Andrews did not get a time stamp of 12 minutes max. No, I think it was two hours. When the king started falling asleep, it's time to wrap it up. (laughs) So, we're going to say, the homilies of his day, you know, they didn't have Netflix back then. They had to do something. Yeah, uh, well, it's a different time. (laughs) People were different. But uh, this is one of the things that uh, drew me to the works of Andrews, was not just the scripture, but the church, what the church has said. So, with that... Yeah, well, we'll start moving through this outline. Point one is his simple introduction, and he does give his own intended outline, which is what we will follow there, and then following his simple introduction, where he is saying he he wants to examine um, the giving of the Holy Spirit, what we can glean from that, he moves immediately into the time of the Spirit's coming, looking at what Pentecost is, and... As, as we've stated, he will first go back to, well, to the first Pentecost, which was the giving of the law, and he'll move through how the celebration of that feast day developed and go right into the church fathers, right into the apostles, and then into our own day. And that seems to be his flow. Yeah, um, and, and he uses a quote from Tertullian just to do that. The coming of Christ was the fulfilling of the law. 
the coming of the Holy Ghost is the fulfilling of the gospel. Yeah. So he's wanting to wrap the two together. Uh, same day, same celebration. Uh, one is the giving of the law, and the other is the giving of Christ to the church, actually. Yes, he does that. You have what Pentecost is um, in the Old Testament. You have it essentially celebrated, if I've got it here, in four kind of phases or degrees. It's known as, of course, the Feast of Pentecost, coming off the 50 days past the Exodus, or the giving of the law. But then it also is known as the, the Feast of the Law. It becomes the Feast of Harvest. And then, was, and then, of course, later celebration would have the Feast of Weeks. Um, and he shows each of those. If we're going to understand what the significance of the New Testament Pentecost is, it takes those four things to help us have the right imagination needed to see the significance thereof. Yeah, he's, he's refreshing the old with the new. And uh, this is what it was then, and this is what it is now. Right. So by the time the apostles received the Go- Holy Ghost on Pentecost, it is, the, it is the fulfillment of the giving of the law, because now the law would be written on our hearts. It is the fulfillment of the Feast of Harvest, because I think that's harvest of the one Chrysostom liked. He saw, he saw in the fulfilling of the Feast of Harvest, this was the, the first sickles are being hit to, the, to start reaping the great harvest. Right. Um, and then you have the Feast of Weeks, and that comes up a little bit later. He comes back to that point saying, it's the Holy Spirit. And if we know anything about the Holy Spirit, it's that he takes his time. Or should we say he works on his own schedule. And so you have to be patient. It takes weeks in between typical the Lord giving us the promise and then the Lord delivering on the promise. And we will, he has, like I said, he quotes Augustine. Right. Uh, he saw Pentecost being the, this one's important. Forgiving for, of debts. The forgiving of debts, the jubilee. Um, when you, we don't, we don't think of the Holy Ghost, I think, I don't believe today as the great equalizer. Right. Um, I think we can kind of get into a competitive spirituality with the Holy Ghost in that, well, he gives me this gift. He gives you that gift. And we're, we're all set apart in our unique ministries. But Augustine says, by us getting, be receiving the Holy Spirit, he is on the 50th day. This is the 50th mark of the Jubilee. Whereas... All debts are forgiven. All men are restored to their first estates. It's man is equal, and we're all under God. Um, period. Uh, there is there is equality. There is unity. All in what the Spirit's doing. As He fills the church with His presence, He is restoring humanity. Erasing the debts and making all people equal and raised up to their, their intended status. Yeah, and it even takes it, uh, uh, you can look at it to where uh, creation, the spirit was given to man, and now on this day of the great feast of Pentecost, uh, the, the spirit is given into man's heart 
it's, it's, uh, so we're going to something that's that uh, cannot be replaced once it's put in there. Lord knows we tried to. <laughs> Chrysostom says, by the Spirit coming at Pentecost, we have the first reaping of the great harvest that we're all moving towards. Augustine says, this thing is happening on the 50th day. Therefore, all men and women are being forgiven of their debts and being restored to one another and to God as equal partners and both priests and stewards of God's graces upon the earth. And then Cyril. Yeah, that's where, that's where you're going next. Yeah. yeah. He sees new creation completely with this is, it's not just starting over like erasing debts. This is a complete new creation. This could be, you could call it the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom. <laughs> Did you have a quote by Cyril? Uh, that was just uh, uh, showing there was first an emission of the Spirit into man and his creation, which being since choked with sin and so comes to nothing, this day there is here a second emission of the same Spirit into man, full to restore and renew him and him the whole mass of creation. Yeah. So you can see how heavy. <laughs> heavy it is. Uh, it's how what important. How important it is. I mean, we all build so much of our theology off of God breathing into Adam's nostril and making him a living creature. Right. And Cyril is, well, building what St. John would say at the end of his gospel when Christ breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a. This is like spiritual CPR. He's bringing us back to life. He's breathing into us afresh in our fallen, sinful condition and reviving the Spirit's influence that was lost with Adam's fall. Yeah. Restoring what he created. And so get us back on our feet to revive us. That's Pentecost. So as we celebrate Whit Sunday every year, and we just finished it up a couple weeks past now, the, the goal that we should have in mind is this is central to the restoration of all of creation to God and for the sake of the world. Um, and it's it, the closure of the gospel. I mean, now the Spirit is being sent to us, and that gospel is going to be spread through His Spirit working through us. And uh, uh, so it's a very, very important uh, day of the year for the church. And most of the church didn't even realize that they celebrated it. <laughs> so. No, so that, moving moving from the time of the Spirit's coming, um, all the significance of the Holy Spirit's coming on Pentecost, he moves then to the manner of the Spirit's coming. Very we, important. It's important, but man, we just read right over this. Yeah. I don't I do not slow down and say, okay, well, let's, let's examine. I take it for granted that the apostles are there in the upper room waiting. You know, just, get the, just waiting. We're told to wait. <laughs> um, and, but yet, Andrew slows us down and says, no, pay attention. Um, we live in a different age. When Luke is recording this account... Luke does not have an unlimited amount of paper or papyrus to write on. So what he does write, he writes very intentionally for our purposes. 
Remember, he's giving Theophilus what he needs um, to know in order to experience the fullness of faith. And Andrew says, that's what we're going to look at here. And so he says, let's look at the disciples' part prior to the Spirit's coming and then the Spirit's coming. What were they up to? Right. There's, there's something significant. This is a unique experience. The neighbors didn't get this outpouring. Right. You know, the, the temple did not get this outpouring. What made this group different? And he, and he spells out, the Spirit falls on those who have been prepared aright. And he actually lays a base going all the way back to Ezekiel. You probably know what I'm going to speak of. First the bones come together, every bone to its bone. Then the sinews grow and knit them. Then flesh and skin and cover them. And then when they were thus united, that not called and not before called, he for the spirit on the four winds to enter them. And so they had a little preparing. That's probably why I was uh, going and wait for the spirit to come. Uh, and we're going to go over all the things that they were doing. Uh, but it, uh, but he goes once about again back to the story of Ezekiel, which I just love. What? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, that is the nature of the spirit. It is putting humanity back together, which had lost the breath of life, had died, decayed, and now it's being breathed afresh in it. And here it fills the upper room, finally, whirling and swirling as that rushing wind um, all over them. But before the wind, we look at the disciples. He makes, I think, a powerful point in saying what allowed the apostles as a community of believers, church, um, to take an anachronistic (laughs) word, they're having church, and what made church possible that day for the Spirit to fill was that they were of one accord, they were in one place, and they had one expectation. Simple. I think you call that unity. You would call it unity. And uh, you could almost say that uh, any discord... This unifies the mind that uh, when, you, when you have different thoughts, you're normally going to have chaos arise out of it, having the unity. And that's what they were there together in prayer for. And, and the rest of the New Testament is trying to get people to stop their bickering and bad-mouthing and going to bed on their anger against people <laughs> in their church. And Andrews is just saying, why is Paul having to spend all this time trying to unify the community, and it's because Paul wanted those churches filled with the same spirit that had filled the church at Pentecost. And and the spirit only comes when the body is of one accord. And this 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 is where the devil just does us asunder. He's fine with us playing church. Um, but he is the accuser of the brethren, and he is going to come in the midst of us and get us to accuse one another, and then we can have our building, but there will be no Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you said a phrase, playing church, and that's uh, many people in society do not want to go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites, and I don't want to talk to that person because he's a sinner. Let me tell you, all of us are sinners. And we're all before God as sinners, but we're united in pleading for him to cure us. And uh, 
so that plain church uh, is very much reality in the world today. And you a lot know. of people see that. And uh, uh, that causes a lot of problems for a lot of people, as it should. Well, yeah, we're, we're, a, we're a bunch of egos coming to be stroked today. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't get stroked, well, you're not coming the next week because you want to make sure you get stroked the following week when they recognize you weren't there. Yeah. And like, and this is, Anglicans don't have a market on this. And Baptists don't have a market on this. This infects the whole church. Right. And this is why Andrews is necessary. Like, slow down. Look. We, we all profess that God is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever, which means he doesn't change. And if that's the case, he's not coming to us if we're going to be so disordered. So divided. I mean, Frankenstein knew this. You know, Victor Frankenstein, you know, you can't put life in, in the body until you've gotten all the members together. Bad analogy, but that's been in my head ever since the Ezekiel thing. Well, a young mind that does work in mysterious ways. <laughs> it's young Frankenstein, too. Young That's your film. It's a, it's a movie out of that. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, that, uh, uh, he's, he's wanting to stop and the luck. You know, not only are we to use the example of Christ in our lives, we need to slow down and use the example of the early church as well. And he was telling the early church then, you guys go away till the Spirit descends upon you. And while they were there, they were, in, they were in one accord, they were praying together, and that's a great example for us. And if we want the Spirit to enter into St. Michael's, if he looks down and see this pew says one thing, that pew says another thing, and the pew in the back is talking about both of them, <laughs> the pew's in front of them, yeah. he's going to look and just shake his head. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's looking for this unity uh, to where his word can take root into our hearts. And not only do we play church, but we end up living church. Yeah, a it's a big difference. Well, it is. I, th- I think I've always used the analogy of, you know, the command is not to go to church. It is to be the church. And in order to be the church, you have to be unified. And the church, to be unified, it, it, it has to be filled with, it has to be united by the Holy Spirit, um, just for the degree of this is this is what holds the Trinity together. I think Lancelot actually calls the Holy Spirit the love knot the of the Trinity. Knot. Yeah, between um, Father and Son. Between God and God and God and, and humanity. Right, like he, he he's the it's love. It's it's the love knot that ties it together. And if there is disunity or bitterness um, it, that repels his pr- his presence. Right. He just cannot. That's not who he is. He he will not honor that. Should we say? And so as we we look that it, they're of one accord, and if that's not hard enough to do, uh, the other point that Andrews tries to make, and I think makes well, is that it's not just about being of one accord, but it's about being of one accord in one place. Is that sort of like a church? Well, it's... Look, we're running into this like crazy today because it's all about streaming. <laughs> That's like, <funny. laughs> we're streaming here live right. on Facebook and yeah. this can't... This, can, this doesn't replace. This sharing of information can make us of one accord and of one mind, but it's still 
prohibits being of one place and a type of unity that's necessary for the Spirit to come. Um, And it strikes against a lot of what we're falling for in this age. And he will go later on, we'll be discussing, uh, uh, as with all of Andrew's uh, sermons, the sacraments will become an important part at the end. And uh, so being of one place, uh, receiving that body and blood of Christ, being fed, uh, but that's very... uh, I don't think he would have gone for spiritual communion. I don't think so. (laughs) Just saying. Um, Yeah. uh, so he's pointing out things that are so, so important to, to Christians. And uh, uh, I will tell you a story from last week. We had uh, one of our, I told this on morning prayer, one of our, our, we had our elder member of the church come last week. And I went down and talked to her. And her comment was, I ain't scared and I ain't going to die alone. <laughs> and so she was sitting in church. And it meant so much to her. And we had some other people that showed up that had not been here in a while. And uh, just that joy of, my God, I finally made it back to church. It, uh, and uh, so it, it's more than just uh, being of one accord. It is the unity of being together, of loving one another, of caring for one another. Uh, all of that goes together. And so... And this, if you're like me, I don't know how many times I've read the book of Acts and never paid attention to just what this atmosphere that's being described here is. Being of one accord, being, well, one accord in mind, and being in one place, in a single place. But on top of that, everyone expecting the same thing. And... And looking for the Spirit, for Jesus to fulfill His promise. And that expectancy is definitely waning these days. Um, like when, well, as He will be spelling it out, like, we give up way too easy when it comes to spiritual blessings. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and that, so... Uh, it's got to be in my time and my way and... Hey, t- today, you know, this is, they've been meeting together in the upper room. You've got chapter one of Acts saying they've been doing ministry together. This is now chapter two. They're still hanging out. Um, and according to your theory, it's only the 12 hang- still made it. Everybody <laughs> well, else is getting Well, he goes into that later on in the summer. We won't go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you have, they're still holding. Jesus promised to give me this outpouring. And so we're waiting for it. Today, I think what would happen is, you know, the, the first Sunday, it didn't happen. And they go, well, I just didn't get fed today. Who's playing this Sunday? Who's playing? <laughs> I, I just didn't get anything out of that meeting. Yeah. And then they come back the next week, and then it's just, man, still not getting we got to go find another place because I'm just not getting what I think I need right now. And we've talked about that before. And that's one of the problems of the church today. You hear people come out and say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. The question is, what did you give to it? And they were all of one place, one accord, and they were giving of themselves. Uh, what's written here is where they prayed, they prayed together. When they heard, they heard all together. And when they broke bread, they did it all together. 
all together ever. This is the church. And yeah, this is and this is where he that well the New Testament would say, you know, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. It's easy to weep with those who weep. I still struggle with that whole rejoicing with those who are happy. I'm like, well, where's mine? Yeah, where's my happy? <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but nonetheless, they, they're in that uh, unity and but waiting together, like keep, and expecting it and believing it, and keeping trusting. every keeping everybody in track with expecting. Right. Like when so if I say, you know, good old Thomas, kind of he lost his expectation, <laughs> right. not even showing up. Like you know, like by the time Jesus is. Dead and resurrected, and like He's just, still trying to figure it just out. the community, just trying to say, "Look, you've missed out this week. Here, come. He'll yeah. he'll meet with you." Like and that, it and it, and the community that holds each other together that says, "All right, you're you're losing hope. You're losing your focus. But here, this is what we've been promised. And if we wait upon it, we'll have it." And that's why you need to be around other people of faith. Well, you do, because it's hard. <laughs> it's are, and that's that's the why the devil will work on you in a heartbeat without that uh, companionship. Oh, he does. Uh-huh. Um, he's always promising what. It seems like the devil's temptation is always to get us to try to get now what God has promised to give later. And I mean, he does that a lot through disunity. Yeah, and so it's like you could have it now. Just do it this way. Yeah. Um, nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. <laughs> And this is this is where Andrews would say, and this is the fulfillment of seeing Pentecost as the feast of weeks. We're not talking about here a couple days. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. No, in a couple weeks, like yeah. you're going to wait for this. Yeah. Um, you have to enter into that school of discipline of the persistent widow. Like you know, it's just going to. Well, you have to have faith, and when you look at it. Uh... I mean, all that the apostles had been through with them. They finally, I guess, had gotten to the point to where maybe we just need to take him at his word <laughs> and not to have all these doubts. And, and uh, he said he's going to come. We're going to sit here until he comes. <laughs> and they achieved that level in just a three or four years. Yeah. Man, they, they were brighter than me. I'm uh, hard-headed. Yeah. So that is what he would say. So on this Pentecost outpouring the disciples were prepared by being of one accord one mind in one place unified around one expectation jesus keeping his word like he's promised to give us his holy spirit he's promised to give us power we're waiting let me ask you honestly how many of you have ever really when you read this thought about this part of it just the apostles part of what they were going through and stuff that uh, my lie. I, I mean, I, I, I think when I read, I, when I read Acts, I read Jesus's going away words, and then I pretty much skim until Joel two, <laughs> like where we're getting into the prophecy of the giving of the Holy Spirit. I just shoot right over this inter, intermediate period. Right. And, and that's fine. what and Andrews will do this to you in all of his sermons. He will slow you down. Yeah. And we will go over this, children, word by word. Yeah. I guess I just jump. Old men will dream dreams. The young men will have a vision. And they're like, you know, and it's just. But what about the community that was in place for that to happen? Right. And there are things that the Spirit will, will not just show up and will not honor certain attitudes. Right. And certain modems. 
And Andrew's just saying, look at the apostles. Look at what their motives were. Look at what their attitudes were. Look at where they were. And it shows this is what it takes to be prepared for the outpouring of the Spirit. So be this. So do it. Yeah. So you know. Do it. Um, so... That's the disciples. What about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Holy what a, Spirit, he has a lot of work to do. The Spirit has a part in this, too. Yes. Um, but it, once you understand that here's the environment that the Holy Spirit can fill when he can fill a community. and Sort of puts you in the room. You're sitting there watching them, and you're saying what they're doing. There. And now you're going to go, holy moly. <laughs> so we get to... When you downloaded, this is about, we've now made it to like paragraph 36 of all of this. <laughs> we finally get down here to the Spirit. Following his examination of the manner of those who receive the Spirit, Andrews moves us to examine the nature of the Spirit's actual coming. Yes, the tongues of fire, the rushing wind. Why, does he, why is all that in there? what it means. Well, Anders will tell you. <laughs> tell you more than you want to know. Can I just but, put it? But when he, as we talk about this, he is painting a picture for you. And I've talked about this before, the way he weaves a picture when he's telling all this and putting it together. And what section one with the disciples and section two with the spirit coming, it all becomes one picture. You can see it all. And that's what he's a master at, is, is doing that. Yeah, I mean, and again, he's not, he's not creating anything. He's, he's essentially bringing to light what Luke has recorded for us to see. I mean, these are all images that Luke has record, recorded. Yeah. And he's just trying to say, slow down, pay attention to this. Because if we, if we skim this, we are in danger of missing what really is taking place and what really is being offered. And so with the Spirit's part, again, he, he, he begins here, again, about paragraph 36, the manner of the Spirit's coming. The first thing he looks at is the sound and those crazy tongues. <laughs> and but, but he had something that you could hear. And something that you can see. Maybe I wonder if I Which, what, what I love with this, though, is with hearing and seeing, he says, so after the, this rushing wind, these tongues of fire, all of this, and he goes, which is a sensible kind of coming. <laughs> Very sensible. I mean, come on. If you were the Holy Spirit, you would choose the, you would choose the same way of coming. Um, but it is with the senses. Um, it... Uh, so it's, it's coming, like the, it should be both heard and it should be seen. Uh, we should, when the Spirit speaks to us uh, through prayer or however, uh, that should also reflect in seeing a change in us and uh, that people will be able to see uh, uh, almost like a sacrament, the outward invisible sign of inward spiritual grace or spirit in this case. And uh, so they go together. It, uh, uh, to hear it and then to do it, uh, to see it. Well, and he would say it was, this was necessary um, just because, let's face it, this is not the usual way in which the Spirit had been known to them. 
I mean, you can't you can't pray Psalm was it Psalm fifty one, creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. You know that take not thy holy spirit from me. That classic prayer. Right. No one's thinking take not thy flaming tongues from me. Like this is so he's saying that this is this then he needs to get the disciples and the apostles' attention, and so he does it in a very attentive way. Well, and uh, he, he quotes St. Paul in here, and it's true. Uh, How should they believe, saith he, in him of whom they have not yet heard? So they needed this, this and you'll go into it in a little bit, this suddenness of sound uh, to awaken them. And he's got here, there came a sound. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> well, and it's, and these are also, he would say, this is necessary not just to wake up the disciples and apostles and to really cue them for ministry. He would say, because this is the same God today as he was yesterday and will be forever, when he comes down, it's going to happen very similarly to when he came down on that first Pentecost. Right. There were lightnings and flashings and thunderings. and There was stuff going on. And it was a... <laughs> The guys at the bottom of the hill says, we're going to die. <laughs> and so that's... Yeah, that's it. The people on the outside, if they heard all this, they're probably thinking, we're going to die. <laughs> the same feeling. And so when the Lord comes, the Lord comes, and you will find those similarities. And he highlights that in paragraphs 38, 39, 40. Um, this is... It's not just for spectacle, for spectacle's sake. They need to know that this is the this is Yahweh working in their life as Yahweh had worked in the life of their ancestors. And just as he gave the law on the mountain, he is now giving the law into their hearts. This is the same God using the same imagery, and they are being tuned in to salvation history in real time. And he's, he's got here that... Uh it fell suddenly. And this is what I love about Andrews. So doth the wind. It rises oftentimes in the midst of a calm. It falls suddenly. It creeps not. Motions that come from the doubt of this, which showeth it falls suddenly. It creeps not. Motions that come from the serpent creep upon us. And did we not just have someone? That last week, yeah, where it tells exactly how sin comes. What well, you you stand with it, you walk with it, and then you sit with it. It creeps upon you, and so he is sort of the suddenness is showing. This isn't some slow moving uh, reasoning we call sin that we're going to work in place. This is going to come down upon you like a hammer. It's going you know, to be there. Well, I think it's like the, the yeah. This is not planned out this is right this is sudden there's they haven't been sitting in their upper upper room since jesus left plotting like it's, this is probably a poorly attributed quote but i've always heard that it was hubbard and was scientology saying the best get get rich quick plan is to create your own religion right um they're not sitting up there going okay well I they don't... how can we really milk the people out of their money what, what was um, the movie uh 
Well, brother, we aren't them. The guy said, there's a lot of money to be made off of Jesus. Right. <laughs> they, they were not doing this. They were not having a brainstorming session. No, this is, this is, heaven has hit instantly. Right. The devil, on the other hand, is a little bit more sly and cunning. Yeah. Just whispering in your ear. So, you know. And so, and yeah, I love, I love his constant... Here's how the spirit works in our lives, and here is how the devil works in your life. Right. Um, and that's kind of another stream that kind of comes up in, well, throughout the rest of the sermon. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's sudden, it's mighty, but any wind can be sudden and mighty. Yeah. But and I, so this is, this is why he would say, but not from heaven, <laughs> and sure as heck not in one place. Uh, I've seen rain hit in one place. You know when you're... You look in your front yard, it's raining in your backyard, it's not the wind. Not the wind. Wind is pretty more general, and he says, no. That's because it's coming from heaven itself. This is. This is not an ordinary wind. No, this is not a horizontal thing. No. This is a downburst. (laughs) Which is now you should be tuned to say, this is supernatural. The wind comes from heaven. It comes from God's own treasury. Pointing our attention plainly on him who had ascended to heaven and now sends it down. Uh, this is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise. I'm going away, and that's good news for you. Because. Uh, yeah, I'm going to send another helper, the paraclete. And sure enough, he sent it. You would say he dumped it on him. Yeah. Uh, and also write, if our motions come from above, if we fetch our grounds from heaven, from religion, from the sanctuary, it is in this wind. But those that come from earthly respects, nothing but natural in them. This is not natural. This is supernatural. No. I mean, seek those things which are above, um, the apostle would tell us. And it's for a reason. There is, the Lord is willing and wanting to whomever will Seek him. Since the Old Testament. If you seek me, I'll let you find me. And You be my people, <laughs> and I'll be your God. And he will allow it. The problem, I think, for many of us is that we've lost our upward focus on what God desires. Even though we pray that our Father, you know, I guess anyone who's following the apostolic tradition at least three times a day, that... On earth as it is in heaven. So we're supposed to be looking heavenward and bringing it to earth. If we're not making that our focus and our goal, we're limited with looking what's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. I mean, today we are, I mean, we are hating on one another left and right just because we are looking horizontally and trying to establish unity, establish peace, trying only to with establish the, this world. Just with a horizontal perspective instead of that heavenly perspective of what truly unites. And so that is what is pouring down upon these prepared disciples. And once again, that being prepared, and it's got here, and this of blowing upon one certain place is a property very well fitting to the spirit, unity. So it, uh, and to blow in certain places where it's going to blow... Where this, there is. I think he says, I don't know if it marked, it's the, this wind blows electively. Kind of rubs me the wrong way from kind of a hangover from my hardcore Calvinistic days. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, 
Again, if my people seek my face, my presence, then I will heal their land. Although the promises is he's not just going to flood the place out. People have to humble themselves before the Lord and say, Thy will be done. And, and then accept it. And yeah, and and then that that is what allows the spirit to come. Well, and that uh them waiting like when you said the word of being humble uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, to be humble and they believe me those men sitting in that room uh, their egos had left them long before I would say and uh, they were very humble uh, because they knew something supernatural was happening and uh, so they were waiting for the completion of that and that's what this day was Uh, yeah where there is I have it Written, written here that the humility sets the tone and it's where there is concord and unity around the apostolic faith there God sendeth his wind and there he sendeth his blessing mm-hmm. like that's just where it works I mean I, I have a huge ego and I'm looking for a loophole against the scriptures many times like the scriptures tell me a, B, C lead to D, and I want to go. Well, just give it. Just give me D. Like I don't want to do all the prerequisite work. Right. Um, it's like the the spiritual disciplines, the whole role. Sort of human, huh? Yeah. It's just no. Just just let me. You know, I want to go out there and, and hit a ball like the pro baseball players. I don't want to do practice. Yeah. I don't want to do all yeah. that. Yeah, that's boring. Um, and yet, this is what prepares us for heaven to come to earth through us. Uh, he's got a line here that's great. It goes, uh, that this wind coming down, it cometh from heaven and it bloweth into the church and through and through it to fill it with the breath of heaven. And as it came from heaven to the church, so will it return from the church into heaven again. I just thought, yeah. man, that's... Well, it's... Uh... God restores his image in us so that his image can be reflected to glorify him. I mean, that's the same thing over and over again from his translation of Genesis to his interpretation of Acts. He's going to say, um, if God is restoring humanity, it is for a purpose. And that is for his glory and for our joy. Because when we reflect him, that means we've been restored fully to what we were meant to be. I mean, it's the same reason we might wipe off the mirror after showering in the morning. The reason you're restoring the mirror is so you can see yourself. Um, And so God is restoring us, and we have to humble ourselves to the restoration process just so he can see himself in us. And again, that's what he's pouring out. So he's given, he is filling the apostles, he fills us, but that's not the end. That is just a means. The Spirit is given to do others good. What good is the gift of tongues if you're not going to be speaking and sharing with those around it? And this is contrary to the way, I think in my own imagination, the way I've been brought up in the church, the spiritual gifts are given to me 
for me, for the assurance of my faith, and it might trickle over to somebody else. Instead, he's saying, like, the grace, the charity are poured into their lips and hearts in order to be shared and to make others partakers of such benefit. Yeah, and this one line in there, the expressing of the unity of the Spirit and the Word in heaven. Who stopped to think about that? In heaven, you don't have the Father saying one thing, the Son saying another thing, and the Holy Ghost telling them both that they're crazy. You have unity in heaven. And that's the example of heaven, thy kingdom come. We want unity here on earth so that we can have that same type of relationship that we see between the Father and the Son and the Spirit in heaven. And so it's just like Jesus Christ and that's often we hear he's an example for all of us. But that's actually the wholeness of, of heaven to see how heaven operates and to let that affect uh, our actions among one another uh, to reflect the same thing that goes on in heaven. They're not stabbing each other in the back. They're not trying to take advantage of one another. Uh, there's actual love and concern. And uh, that's what we're to have for each other, to reflect that heaven upon the earth. So I just, I just struck me when I read that, that uh, as it is on heaven, think about how it is in, on, or how it is in heaven, and not just think about how it is on earth. So. Yeah, well, that's why that wind is being poured out from heaven, so that reality can it's just coming be... coming down. It's, it's pouring down upon us, those blessings, yeah, the, as you said earlier. That's the, that's the wind. Now... Finally, we get to the one thing I'm kind of tuned in for when you think of the giving of the Holy Spirit. I've got capital letters. What? Those tongues. Those tongues. <laughs> Those cloven tongues, as it were, on fire, sitting upon each of them. What the heck? <laughs> um, was my Pentecostal Aunt Lottie correct, or is there something else going on? I think there's a lot going on here. And so that's how he breaks it up. Point one, we're going to look at tongues. Point two, what's up with them being cloven or divided? And three, as it were on fire. And four, setting upon each of them. Tongues, I love what he says. The tongue is the best gift if it's given by God, but it's the worst <laughs> gift if it's given by the devil. Um, and, uh, and he's got here once again speaking of the devil. Uh, tongues of angels, you read in First Corinthians. And if good angels, I make no doubt, but of evil. And so the devil hath his tongues. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, so you get into this point of his sermon, if you're, if you're still awake. Um, and to be fair, how many days did it take you to read this sermon? When? This time? Yeah. Well, preparing for this, I've been reading it. A week, actually. So, a yeah. week's worth the time. Like, yeah. If you if you read these things slow, it sticks out. So, by the time you make it to this point, this one pricked me to the heart. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, and this, this is the case. I mean, the scriptures time and time again are warning us about the tongue. Um, and then you see truly the supernatural nature of this, and that they were given the heavenly tongues. I mean, it's... Uh, Dallas Willard would say the goal of all discipleship is to learn to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. Uh Um, I mean, what would he do with your tongue? Not Um, what I do with it. Not what we would do with it. And and he speaks about that. 
Um, He's got here of uh, when he made the serpent a forked tongue to speak that which was contrary to his knowledge and meaning, they should not die. And as did the serpent, so he can do to the others as well. So uh, we all can get this uh, uh, split tongue that... uh, be sweet one day and cut to the bone the next day. Well, yes, and I think that that's what takes us into the cloven nature of this is that, again, just as their tongue can come from God or it can come from the devil, um, it can be divided as the devil's is divided or divided as the apostles were divided in order to unite. Um, so this is, Mr. Rogers would say, you could either be an accuser or an advocate. That's your option every day. That's true. Um, and so how is, is your tongue going to be divided and that it'll speak good and then bad against the same person depending on the crowd? Or is it going to be divided and to say you're going to allow what you would usually say to be changed in order for the benefit of the person there, either to cut down or to build up? Build up. And what... And this is the fulfillment of the curse of Babel, he would say. Um, the he reason gets, he gets into that. Yeah, it's just, you can't miss it. But Babel is huge. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that on another time. Um, <laughs> but this is the nations were divided, and it was demonstrated by their loss of being able to communicate. And now, gone through the blessing of the apostles and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit is allowing their singular speech to be divided in order to bring in the nations and unify them around the one message that usually they would have been cut off from and not being able to hear. It would just be babble, yeah, nonsense yeah, to those. Hmm? No, you got a quote? Yeah. Uh, this great good of the knowledge of the gospel might be dispersed to many nations, even to every nation under heaven. To that end clothed he their tongues, to make many tongues in one tongue, to make one man to be able to speak to many men of many countries, to every one in his own language. If there must be a calling of the Gentiles, they must have tongues of the Gentiles wherewith to call them. So it can divide or it can bring together. Well, yeah, and while this is when we when we sing the hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, yeah. I'm, I, I'm thinking, because, you know, when you're, when you're learning language, and so my path of language studies was obviously English. Um, southern. Yeah, Southern English. <laughs> and so English, and then it's Latin. And you're like, okay, wow, all right, this is different. And you start translating the Vulgate. And then from Latin, I think we learned Greek next. And Greek was very similar to Latin, which was fine. And you're like, oh, this is wow. I mean, their words mean a lot. And then it's Hebrew. You tack that in. And you're going, wow, each language has so much potential for expressing the one message that's here contained in our canon and so when I sing that hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues, I wish I could get those divided tongues. Because, I mean, if I had a thousand languages at my, you know, Oh, Lord, use, I, I wouldn't be able to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, Casey wouldn't be able to say uh, it. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, 
Yeah, he's, he's unifying it. He's tying it together. Yes. And beyond it being tongues, beyond them being divided or cloven, now he tells us, as it was of fire. Mm-hmm. And he'll tell you, this has to be a spiritual fire because, well, they didn't end up up in smoke. <laughs> uh, sort of so, like the bush. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what he says. This is the same fire that was on the burning bush when the Lord appeared to Moses. And again, the apostles would say, Oh, fire, fire. Um, yeah. you, this is the same God now speaking to and through us that spoke to Moses, Moses. from the bush. Yeah. He's right here in the room with us. And so they're primed to become his messengers just as Moses was primed to become God's messenger till Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And so I miss that when I've read Acts numerous times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. Things don't, unless somebody's tying together and make, slowing you down <laughs> to make you look and see. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I tell uh, uh, people in our church here. I'd rather for you to read uh, one verse or one chapter than the whole book because you have to slow down you have to focus on what is really being said. And I think that puts you in the, the, the realm of the Spirit when you do that. When you be still, I think we're told, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think this one's hard, um, especially for all of our friends that really get wrapped up in apologetics. The salvation that we're seeing and watching take place there in that upper room with the giving of the Holy Spirit, it is coming by tongues of fire. Andrews would say, salvation cannot come by tongues of flesh, right. for it lacks the true light and the heat needed to consume dross and dispel darkness. The tongue must be salted with fire. I'm usually using that passage for purgatory. I haven't actually used it for... Well, you know, and, and he actually awful. says the purpose of that is to quicken the dullness of their cold and dead affections. It is. Yeah. And, and this is so true of like apologetics... Again, I'm sure it's a poorly attributed quote, but C.S. Lewis saying if you can argue a person into heaven, someone later can argue them out of it. Mm-hmm. Like it has to go deeper. It has to go further up and further in than just human logic and articulation, which is the failed attempts the last 50 years of gospel presentations. <laughs> Here, let me make this reasonable for you so yeah. you accept it. It has to have the heavenly... Let's make this easy tongues of fire here, supernatural, because then that is what brings light to darkness, and that's what warms up these cold hearts of ours. Uh, this, is, this is that quote you were talking about. It says, their, lip, their lips did need to be touched with a coal from the altar. Tongues of the flesh would not serve the turn, nor words of air, but there must be fire put into the tongue and the spirit and life into the words they spake, a force more natural, that is, the force of the spirit is more powerful. Yeah, uh, that's it. And then he, he makes one more point with the flaming tongues off of that. Is that it sat upon them, rested mm-hmm. upon them. And what he would say is, look, it's just like we've seen in all the artwork about Jesus' baptism. We saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, resting upon him. And now, over the apostles, 
we see the same Holy Spirit coming down and resting upon them because we know that they are being chosen to carry the church into this new age. Um, so when we say the creed, we say one apostolic faith, it says because like this is where we know we saw the Holy Spirit descend upon these men and the same way from there on out, you didn't see the dove hovering over Jesus the next three years. You just knew he's the bearer of the Holy Spirit. And so his church has been chosen out of all of humanity to be the bearer of the Holy Spirit. And so you come to this one holy Catholic and apostolic faith because it descended and rested upon them. It abided with them. And so then we want to make sure we are in trajectory with them. And it's uh, to follow up that, that it resides within them. Our Savior is this day said that ascending on high, it gave gifts unto men, and to what end? That the Lord their God might dwell among them. Dwell, that is, have his habitation, take up his residence among them, to be among us, to be part of us, to unite us. Well, and within the Anglican tradition, um, this is also that logic of the sanctuary candle, the reserved mm-hmm. sacrament, just trying to say, he hasn't gone anywhere. The body's here. He remains. He abides. So if you, if, if, if you don't fill him, he hasn't left. You have. And it's right. time to return and draw back into the way he moves. So, he, is, he is there waiting. He's waiting for all of us to, uh, to return to him humbly. Yes. And so, well, how do we get this today? How do do we get this outpouring today as a church? And that's where we move to in Andrew's conclusion, which picks up, man, paragraph 94. After spelling out the significance of Pentecost, what we should be anticipating being fulfilled at the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, how the disciples were prepared for this pouring of the Spirit, and then the Spirit himself and the characteristics of his outpouring, great. What do you do with all this information? Okay, I'm sold. How? What does a community need in order to do this? And so, well, without recapping it completely, the community has to start where the apostles started, and that's with one mind in one place with one expectation. And to assist that, Andrews branches a little bit out of Acts 2 and shows practically how in the New Testament... The model for procuring the Spirit's outpouring and coming upon the community. Three things. How novel. Prayer. Prayer, the Word, and the sacrament. Let me read this. Yeah. Many times we miss when we use this one or that one alone, where it may well be God has appointed to give it us by neither, but by the third. It is not for us to limit or appoint him how or by what way. He will come unto us and visit us, but to offer up our obedience in using them all, and using them all, he will not fail to come to us. So we can't really pick and choose which yeah, if, which menu item we want. Uh, and it's... I think that's what um, Christianity has become, this and this cafeteria-planned Christianity... You know, it's, you can do a little prayer over here, or, you know, it's, you know, you think denominations. 
So either the monastics or maybe the Pentecostals, man, these people can pray. Right. Um, or the Presbyterians, if you want to know the word, like let's just say they have got they it. Got it. Um, or the sacraments. Well, you go to the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church. And Andrews is saying hogwash. Like, it can't be divided as long as we you play. Have, I have all. Yeah. As he would say, as paragraph 103, if these three, prayer, word, sacraments, be every one of them as an artery to convey the Spirit into us, well, may we hope if we use them all three, we shall be in a good way to speed our desires. We're going to get what we want. Right. Um, it's not trying to market our prayers. It's not trying to market our word understanding, our apostolic preaching, um, or market our sacraments. It takes them all in one. Yeah, you get into something that I've spoken about before. We don't need to sell Jesus. He's <laughs> given us all that we need. And when we try to dress this up or dress up that, uh, he's done the work. All we need to do is to obey him and to live within his within his laws and to receive that spirit into our hearts. Uh, but as far as fancying this up or changing this book to read this way instead of that way, uh, I think we run into a lot of danger. So that's the reason I, actually my thesis once again was Lancelot uh, Andrew's life and ministry, a foundation for Anglican priest. And that's what it is. If we, if we do all of these things, we're doing what we need to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Spirit. And, uh, but it's when we get out and we put one another above another, uh, prioritize this over that, uh, that's where we run into trouble. Because uh, when we do that, we bring about the disunity and all the things we talked about earlier. Yeah. And so hopefully this material is useful. Um, we hope that you will come back to Andrews if you or start with Andrews and have a brew and yeah the the, the brew helps mine's empty now it's been very interesting it's a interesting drink um, <laughs> coffee ale how is that yeah is it uh, different <laughs> I'm, just, I'm grateful that it came in a four pack I don't have to finish six of these things um, uh, and like, is. like many beers, um, you know, sometimes the oldies are the better, like <laughs> the oldie but the goodies, the oldies, but the goodies um, Lancelot Andrews sermons or it's the oldies, but the goodies. you can turn to his pages and you'll truly find lessons to, that will benefit you and bless you as you gather together with his church and the Catholic faith, universal faith. Or you can go with these new aged um, sermons that you find streaming all over. You, know, with, you yeah. can go with what is it? Yeah, <laughs> vanilla coffee blonde ale. <laughs> well, that would turn So be careful what you drink and be careful what you listen to because there might be eternal consequences. Yeah, we'll we'll have another sermon that we will ponder upon. Yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks and all so. Uh, we do hope you enjoy this, and uh, uh, everything we said, just think about it, just meditate upon it. And if we're crazy, it's okay, we know that, but if it makes sense to you on some of the words and thoughts of Andrews, please use them. We just want to bring it to your attention so that you can use it 
and uh, hopefully deepen your relationship with God. The challenge, I think, of this sermon is he tells you to, you've got to find somebody else Mm -hmm. to do this with. Yeah. Um, And that strikes against all the spiritualities being pumped out by Mm -hmm. popular Christianity today. So anyway... Uh, anything else? No, that's it. All right, let us end with a prayer. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Dear God, we uh, give thee thanks for this time together. Uh, we give you thanks for having us in as much unity as we're in. And we pray that you keep us from all disunity and being pulled apart. Uh, we ask uh, for your blessings upon your church. And we ask that the, our discussions of Lancelot Andrews Uh, It's a blessing to others to hear the words. In thy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. That's a wrap. See y'all later.